Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is a special edition of Take Two Election Style. It is November 10th. This is Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News. We are getting close to the Congressional District 2 special election, November 21st. I am joined by Celeste Malloy in House Today. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, thanks for the invitation. We're in the final throws. Two weeks left? Yeah, just a little bit less than that. Have you heard people being confused about what day election day is? I have so many people yes. who I feel like should know when election day is. And they're like, wait, what's our coverage? Are we not doing this tonight? Or what's happening? I'm like, okay, guys, yeah. we've got a couple more weeks. We're almost there. Well, and everyone's Google calendars reminded them on November 7th. So I got a lot of texts that day from people who were like, good luck today. Or texts the next day from people who said, I can't find your the election results. results anywhere. What happened? Um, but I think it's great that Google reminds people of election day. So I'm not going to complain. Yeah. It's just that nobody remembers that this one is a little bit off. My election day, I was noticing this because my husband and I were going through calendars today. Mine actually has it posted on the 21st. I don't know why, if it somehow knows it's in Utah and switched it or whatever. But yeah, I think most people thought it was on the 7th. So election day is in the rearview mirror for most of us. You've got a little extra runway coming up. Um, You're out there sprinting, talking to people across the district. What's the number one thing you're hearing from people right now? Has it changed at all since last time we met or is it still the economy? Yeah, well, everybody still is... Concerned about the economy, but you know there's a lot of political gossip going on right now, and I and that has kind of taken over the conversations when I'm Ooh, out talking gossip? to people. You know the the speaker race and oh, what's yes. going on in Washington, spending, you know, budget, uh, which is still, I mean, the the spending question is still an economy question, right? Yeah. But the speaker race is just straight up politics. People want to know what's going on. They want the inside scoop. And frankly, if they've had time to watch the news, they're probably more informed than I am. Um, that's interesting to me that they care about it because I sometimes think that's like the inside baseball of politics, but it, yeah. it's something that people are watching. Well, it it got big enough. I mean, it was unprecedented to not have a speaker, right? And so it made enough news and enough headlines that it's it's caught people's attention, even people who probably don't normally care about the inside baseball. Yeah. Um, the inside baseball has kind of slowed down the process of what should have not probably waited this long anyways. We've got the budget that has to be taken care of. They soaked up three or four weeks fighting over who was going to be the House Speaker. Now we have just a few days left for them to figure out. If you were in Congress right now and voting on a budget or the possibility of a continuing resolution, kicking the can down the road, what would you do? What do you think would be the best solution at this point with the broken system we have? <laughs> well, the best solution is always, obviously, passing the budget and doing it through regular order and, and going through the normal appropriations process. We've kind of missed that boat already, but that's always going to be my, my first choice and my preference. That would, that's what I would want to do if I was there. Um, I have been out campaigning, and I'm on the road every day, and I haven't been able to watch it as closely as you probably have um, but I'm hopeful that we're going to get spending bills passed and get them passed in time. Um, a lot of the talk with spending bills now is also money that would possibly go to either funding the war in Ukraine and also now the war going on with Israel and Hamas. Yeah. 
Uh, do you think that those wars should be funded with what has to be done now? Should they be done separately? Should Israel and Ukraine go together in the same package, or do they need to be their own separate bills? I would like to see them each funded separately. I just think it's good to have the debate about each of them separately. I mean, our our relationship to Ukraine and our relationship to Israel are very different things. Excuse me. And um, I, rather than having a whole bunch of things go through at the same time because we have to do it, I think it's important to have that debate separately and in front of the American people and make sure people know why we're spending the dollars we're spending um, and make sure we know why we're spending the dollars we're spending and not just that it's a, a package in a panic at the last minute. I don't know that that's how it's going to happen, but I think that would be the best way to do it. Yeah. It seems to be how business is done in Washington. Is there a way to unravel that and get back to a point where they run it? Like, let's say the Utah legislature, where they know how much money they have, they go through each issue, they fund them separately. Can Congress get back to that? Or are we so far down this path that this is what we have and we have to just deal with it? (laughs) Well, having a supermajority definitely would help. I think if if we had a supermajority in Washington, would be more likely to do that. Uh, but it's tougher when you're in a closely divided chamber, and and that's the way it is right now in Washington. I I'm hopeful that we can get back to regular order. I I think the American people want to see Congress get back to regular order. Sometimes the political reality is you can't move something until you have um, enough things bundled together that enough people care about it on both sides of the aisle. I would like to see us move away from that. Yeah. Um, Right now, as we mentioned, we do have a new speaker in Mike Johnson. There was a lot of inter-party fighting and a lot we talk about in politics right now that it's left versus right, but it seems like Republicans are kind of eating themselves from the inside, you know, right now. Can Republicans lead in Congress? Can they get things accomplished right now? Yeah, I think we can. It's tough for any party when you have a four-vote majority. It means you, you can't you don't have a very high tolerance for dissent within your own party. It, it's easy to descend into chaos. But the thing that was easy to lose track of during all of this speaker uh, voting drama is that our system did hold. We did end up with a new speaker. Um, we didn't have a war. There wasn't any you know, violence. Um, our founding fathers knew that governing ourselves would be messy. And the House especially is kind of designed to be messy and reflect the mood of the nation. And the mood of the nation is, is a little raucous right now. Um, and it took some time and it made a lot of headlines and it was kind of embarrassing for Republicans that we were not getting anywhere. But we got a new speaker. We're back to business. And, and it worked. And that's, I think, what should be the takeaway message from all this after it's all played itself out. So you've been in Washington for a while working with Congressman Chris Stewart. Do you know uh, the new speaker, Mike Johnson? Did your office work with him at all? What do you know about him? Yeah, I've met him a few times. If you asked him if he, he knew me, he would say no. He has no reason to remember me. But he was on the weaponization committee with Congressman Stewart, and I staffed that committee. So I, I sat in the same room with him in, in hearings and in strategy meetings. And I was really impressed with him. He's he's soft-spoken. He's even-killed. He's conservative and also really practical. And he, he was good, I think, at keeping his eye on the big picture. You know, it's easy to start talking about the details of what you're doing. And he was good at that. But he would also go back to what is it we're trying to accomplish here? What are we, want, what are we wanting to do long-term with this effort? Um, and I think that bodes well for his uh, success as a speaker. So you feel like after all of those weeks of um, wrangling inside the party that they made a good decision? Yeah. I, if For anyone who's listening and didn't listen to his speech on the House floor when he accepted the gavel, 
I would recommend taking the, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it was and go watch that speech. I thought it, he just did a superb job of striking the right note. You know, he was, he, he reached out to the Democrats and told Hakeem Jeffries, you know, at the end of the day, we're both Americans. And so I know we're going to find common ground and do what's best for America. Um, he acknowledged the work that Kevin McCarthy did before him. And then he talked about, you know, addressing the things that Americans want addressed. He talked about more transparency. He talked about the way the house should be doing business and just struck a really hopeful, really positive note. And I, I thought it was great. It made me excited to work with him. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what um, our next congressperson will be dealing with, because it, it seems that, like at this point that there's going to be a continuing resolution. The budget is still going to have to be dealt with probably at this point during the new year and the new Congress. Um, we have the major spending bill. They have Ukraine, uh, Israel they're dealing with. Um, Right now, it looks like from talking to Congressman Blake Moore uh, a little earlier this week that right now it seems like both sides are willing to fund um, the war in Israel, but Ukraine may come with um, some guidelines of maybe changing things along the U.S.-Mexico border. Would you support putting those two into the same bill where you could work out uh, things in the homeland and securing our own border at the same time as Ukraine, or do those things need to remain separate and make decisions on their own? I am fine with moving them together as long as we are doing two things that we want to do. What I have a hard time with is when they marry up two things, um, and one of them is something that nobody wants to do, but they put them together to make it move. Um, so as long as we're being thoughtful about what we're doing, moving them together is fine with me. They're they're related in that they're foreign affairs kind of things. Let's talk about the border for a minute because it comes up in almost every election cycle and it seems if there's a Democratic president, Republicans go to the border and they're mad about what's happening and then vice versa. When Trump was president, Democrats would go down there and show what the problems were. No matter who the president is, we have problems. Uh, they may grow or shrink a little bit with the president, but we haven't solved that issue. If elected to Congress, what are some real actionable things that can happen to change the crisis that is happening at the border so that we can have a system that actually works so people can come into the country legally and there's a process to make it happen? Yeah, I, I've i talked about this a lot on the campaign trail, and I, we do have to address both sides of the equation. Um, we don't have control of our border, and that is a problem. Uh, and until we have control of the border, I don't think we can fix the legal immigration issues, but we have to fix the legal immigration issues. So the first thing we have to do is get control of the border. Um, and and that's going to take physical barriers of some kind. Uh, and I know that's controversial, but I just don't see any way to have a handle on who and what are coming across our border without physical barriers. And it's going to take manpower patrolling that. So we're going to have to do that. And and once we have that secured, then we, we've got to address the legal immigration problem. I have friends who work in immigration law, and they get really irritated when someone says, get in line and do it the right way. Because they're like, I, you know, my friends who practice immigration law are trying to help people get in line and do it the right way. And it, there is no line, and the right way is not working. Um, so there's no incentive to try to do it the right way if you can walk across the border. Um, so we've got to fix the border 
and then address the issues with the legal problem. Yeah, it's a it's a long process. It's an arduous process. It's difficult. I even look back. Um, my mom, before I even existed, uh, her family came from the U.S. to Canada. I'm sorry, from the Netherlands to Canada, and eventually from Canada to the U.S. because they couldn't get into the U.S. But when I listen to the stories of how long the process took to legally come in the country, and once they were in the country to become citizens, it's never been an easy process. And I would think that if you got enough minds in the same room and really wanted to, you could get it done. Do we not get it done because there's always another election down the road where someone's worried about their vote? Or why don't we get this done? I don't know all of the reasons. I know just in general, it's it's harder to come up with a plan than it is to poke holes at a plan. So in order to get something done, someone has to stretch their neck out and say, this is what I think the solution is. And as soon as someone proposes a solution, there's a lot of incentives for everybody else to say, this is what I don't like about the solution, or the solution should be more this or less that. Um, and I, that's true of, of every issue, but especially with immigration and the border, it's so emotional for people and for different reasons um, that I think it's just tough for anybody to come up with a plan that can get consensus. But I'm, I'm hoping that right now, because there's, there's pretty widespread consensus that it's broken, we can at least agree on that much, and I hope that that gives us a basis to start working on some solutions. I'm not sure in the past we've even had widespread consensus that the system was broken. It's, it's in our faces now. It's hard to deny. We can see that there are people coming across the border um, and that we don't have a lot of control over that. So maybe this is the time that we have um, clear enough evidence and enough people saying, yeah, I can agree it's broken, that whoever proposes a solution can get people behind it instead of just poking holes in it. Does it help that it seems like there's both Democrats and Republicans talking about it? Usually um, it seems like a one-sided issue right now. New York City seeing a lot of the problems that come um, because people have been sent to the state there. And I think they're seeing, seeing the problems of trying to care for people properly. Does that help the conversation when you have more than just the border states involved? Oh, absolutely. I'm you name an issue, it's easier to address when you have people on both sides of the aisle talking about it, um, especially if you have people on both sides of the aisle and in different geographic regions of the country admitting that it's a problem. Um, I mean, that's that's how politics works. It takes consensus to move things, and I think we're finally getting consensus on this one. I want to go back to the budget for just a minute. While we're looking at a portion of the budget uh, needing to get passed before we get to a fiscal cliff coming up in a few days, another large portion that we don't really discuss um, are Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. They make up a large portion of where our taxes go. And if you look at the Congressional Budget Office, they believe sometime in the next 10 years that Social Security will no longer be solvent. It's a problem that needs to get fixed. It turns into a talking point for political campaigns of somebody wants to kill Social Security or leave it alone. But it's obviously a problem where we've got to look at it and changes have to be made if we want Social Security to be around. Because at some point, uh, those Social Security checks that are going out for our parents are going to be cut. They're going to be less. And if we leave it alone, people our age won't be seeing a check coming in the mail. So how do we solve this problem? How do we fix it? And is it fixable? Or is it something that we have to say, okay, this isn't possible under the current way that we run our government? Yeah, well, I think almost every problem's fixable. The question is, are we willing to do what we would have to to fix it? And when it comes to this one, so far we haven't been, we haven't been willing to do what it takes to fix it. I don't know what the perfect solution is yet, but I, I believe there is a solution to this. And what it's going to take is people being willing to, to ask the question and take on the issue. 
And in the past, we haven't always been willing to do that. And if someone, again, someone was willing to stretch their neck out and come up with a solution, then, then they immediately get attacked. And organizations like the AARP have organized, you know, lobbying against changes in the past. But I think, again, we're to a point where people, even people who are dependent on social security can see that it's not going to remain solvent. If you're uh, 70 years old and you're collecting a social security check, you're probably still going to be collecting a social security check 10 years from now. So knowing that it won't be solvent in 10 years doesn't give you any comfort. Um, it's it's not a can you can kick down the road past the end of your lifetime. And I, I think that might create the situation where we can finally address it. And I don't have a, a five-point plan to present on social security, but I am willing to get involved in having the conversations to find the right solution. And I think that's the big first step that we haven't taken before. Can raising taxes on the rich be part of that solution? I don't think that's the solution. Um, But I'm sure there are plenty of genius ideas out there that we haven't even tried yet. I'm sure there's a lot of financial advisors in the world that probably could come in and uh, talk to Congress and help us figure this out. So it's something that you believe needs to be worked on. Yes. Um, We are looking now just a year out from the next presidential election. And I think our presidential elections matter down to what's happening in our congressional races and sometimes our municipal races because they make either people care and want to show up to vote or not care at all and not want to participate in the process. It keeps looking the further we get down the road that it is going to be a Biden and Trump race again in 2024. Is this uh, a good thing or are you hopeful that maybe there are going to be different candidates, different choices when we look at the Republican debates that are going on right now? Because we do have other candidates who are out there and hoping and auditioning for the job. Yeah, well, a year is a really long time in political time. Uh, I know it doesn't seem like it's that far away, but I mean, I've been running for Congress for five months now, and that feels like forever. So a year seems like a long time, and I, don't, I just don't think we know yet. Um, and the thing that I have found really interesting on the campaign trail is that when I'm talking to voters, they don't seem to use the presidential election as a measuring stick of how things are going as much as the media does. It's it's sort of a shorthand, I think, in the news and in the media for um, how what America's doing, which way the country's going, mm-hmm. trying to forecast what every you know news story, what every political uh, election means for the presidential election. But it doesn't seem like American voters view it as as much of a an indicator or as much of a measuring stick of what's going on. Um, so I'm. I'm not willing to predict anything yet at this point. It, it certainly looks like those are the two front runners, but who knows what happens in the next 12 months. Um, it has been fun watching the debates. It's been fun um, Is there a standout to you from the debates? It, it depends on the debate. Some of the people I expected to stand out just haven't as much as I thought they would. Um, I, I expected Ron DeSantis to be more formidable in a debate setting, and that's been interesting. I've liked watching Nikki Haley um, it's fun to watch her mind work. I've always really liked, um, uh, I am Rick Scott. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> and Nick and Scott, what did I call him? Did I call him Rick, Rick? Scott? Tim Scott. Tim Scott. I'm mixing up everybody's <laughs> names here. Yes. Tim Scott. We've both had a long week. No, I've always liked Tim Scott's optimism. I like his sort of happy warrior attitude, but I've been surprised that he hasn't been more impressive in debates. And, and so I just, I think the public still needs a little time to watch and vet and see what happens. 
but it, I'm going to enjoy the process. People always say it's the economy stupid when they're going into elections. And I've been watching closely what's been happening with interest rates, um, just shopping as a normal person. And I know we keep hearing, you know, inflation isn't as high as it was. It's going down. Families should be feeling that relief. But I don't feel that relief when I go to the grocery store, when yeah. I go to buy a pair of pants for my 18-year-old son. I'm just like, why do they cost this much? Yeah. Um, is there anything that Congress can do to help or fix this? Is it part of the budget process? Or what do we do? Well, I mean, the obvious solution is we stop passing huge federal spending bills. When you create more dollars, federal dollars in the economy, then those dollars don't go as far. They don't have as much purchasing power. Um, so it feels good short term. We get we get the rush. You know, we get dollars, um, but then we can't buy as much with them. And we've got to stop that, first of all. Uh, but we also need policies that don't contribute to inflation. I talk about this a lot, but we were energy independent four years ago. We're not energy independent now. Our energy costs are higher. Our fuel costs are higher. When fuel costs are higher, everything else costs more. The pants you're buying for your 18-year-old son got shipped here. And when fuel costs are higher, it costs more to ship. And so the pants go up. But all the inputs to making the pants are also more expensive. And it just, you know, each factor builds on the other factor. Um, so we need to get our spending under control. But we also need to have federal policies that don't contribute to higher prices and our dependence on foreign nations for the basic inputs of our lifestyle. Does that mean more drilling and fracking in states like Utah? Sure. I, we need an all of the above kind of policy and we need to be doing whatever makes sense. We, we have really robust environmental protections in this country. If we're drilling and fracking, we're doing it in a safe, responsible way. It makes more sense to be doing it here, producing our own energy, being energy independent, even exporting, you know, gas instead of importing it from other countries and watching what's going on geopolitically. You know, if Russia's invading Ukraine and we've got a war going on in the Middle East, it makes a lot of sense for us to be producing our own energy. When President Biden came into his office, I believe it was his first day in office when he made an executive order that kind of wiped out some of that work that was happening in um, areas of our state near Bears Ears in San Juan County. And that could go in the opposite direction the second, you know, a new president is in there. Should those decisions be made um, by the executive or who should be making those decisions about where we can be um, searching for these energy <laughs> options? Now you're just asking me to get really nerdy. I mean, this is what I like to talk about on the campaign trail. Um, it's what is the role of government, which, which branch of the federal government should be doing which things. And no president was ever supposed to be as powerful as our presidents are right now. Um, a presidential election shouldn't drastically change people's lives. Uh, and they are right now. That's the way it works. So when a president can come in and sign 40-something executive orders in the first month and it really changes U.S. policy, um, we're out of balance. The executive branch is too strong. And so, no, I don't think that should be a president making those decisions. I do think it should be Congress because Congress is a larger body, a less efficient body, and reflective of the people in the country. And it takes time for Congress to make decisions. It takes convincing, you know, about 400 people that this is the right decision before you can get it done. Where an, an executive order only takes one person, they can sign it, and then then they have all of the alphabet soup agencies to go implement that. And that doesn't uh, have the level of accountability that I think we should have when we're changing national policies. And how do we return that power back to Congress? Funding. So Congress has the power of the purse, and Congress should. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Don't worry, I'm turning your mic down. You've been doing a lot of talking. <laughs> I have been. And it's wintertime, the air's dry. Yes, it is. Um, Congress should be using the power of the purse to get that under control. These agencies that are in the executive branch only have the authority that Congress has delegated to them. And then Congress is funding them to go do these things. So Congress needs to look at that delegated authority and hold them to only the delegated authority and do it by not funding anything outside of that authority. It's a bit, it's a big challenge, but I know a lot of people are looking for that to happen. We are out of time. I know we could talk about a million issues all day long. Uh, last word that you'd want people to think about before they're voting, if they still have their ballots sitting on the countertop. Yeah. So the election is on the 21st for anybody who got the Google alert on the 7th, make sure you get your ballots in. But my parting shot, I always try to make this my parting shot. I am really grateful to be on a ballot. It's easy in a campaign to get focused on all the things you have to do and lose track of what an amazing opportunity it is to be able to run for Congress. Um, I'm, I still wake up in a panic half the time, but once the panic stops, I remember how, what a blessing it is, what a rare opportunity it is to be doing what I'm doing. And I, I want voters to know that I feel that way because I want voters to know that I really am like them and I want to represent them. And I think most people feel like Congress is sort of a, a distant, untouchable body. And I want to make sure people can see in me that I'm, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm responding. It's not something that's happening far away. Very good. Celeste Malloy, thanks so much for joining us. We will be watching as that election comes up 11 days from now. Thanks so much for listening to this special edition of Take Two.